why, hello, and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound. And I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So... I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org, and my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned. Today's episode is a conversation with Digby Pearson, the owner and founder of groundbreaking label Earache Records. He has a playlist and I've included small snippets of the songs just to give you a feel of them. Digby's appearance is originally from August 23, 2011, and the quality of the music archived has not held up well. So I hope you check out the original archive, the original radio show, which is linked here, <laughs> so you can hear full versions of what all the fuss is about. Stay tuned. And it is time to start our peer pressure segment of the program, and I believe we have Digby Pearson on the line. Is that true? Digby? Hello, Diane. Oh, there you are. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yay. Yay. All the way from Merry Old England. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thanks for having me on, by the way. So oh. I can't believe uh, you're letting me loose on the airwaves and the web. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I can cut you off, you know. <laughs> ah, you have the power. I forgot about that. I, I do, but, you know, I, I'm hoping okay. I don't need to. I, Hopefully uh, it meets with your approval anyway, the following track. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for making the time. It's uh, it's dinner time over there, isn't it? And, yeah, you um, can say that. Yeah, just finished work, 6 p.m. Time for some uh, some noise. Yay. Yay, hooray. And, <laughs> it's uh, a normal night, a normal night for me. And, and so, yeah, so what, do, what does a day in the life of, of Digby Pearson consist of? Hmm. Well... Dealing with our bands, really. I mean, I kind of do the same thing that I've always done. <laughs> We're kind of uh, just involved with music. Um, today we had a band called Evile. They're like a up-and-coming thrash metal band. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw their video for the first time. So their new video, we kind of checked it out and thought, you know, we had a had a slight meeting about it. Like, is it any good or whatever? How we should change? It's quite a radical video because it's quite quite a lot of effects on it. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of modern effects. It'll throw people a loop, really, because it's not four guys headbanging in a warehouse, you know, like every other video. So it's, it's quite stark and mod- hyper-modern. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we, so we were looking at that. As usual, we're working out tour dates for Worm Rock that are coming over next week, I think. Oh, uh, great. Michael Band from Singapore. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that, that whole album is a free download on your site, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. We gave away the last Wormwell album for free. You can get it at earache.com uh, slash free. There's actually another album there for free as well by a band called Gamma Bomb. That's a thrash band from, from Ireland. So, yeah, we're actually into giving away a few albums for free. Yeah, I think we might do some more as well, see. It's actually quite radical, I suppose, but uh, I'm into it, and um, the fans seem to enjoy it. From a record company point of view, and it's amazing that, that you guys do that, and then you have, like, free full album downloads on, on com. what had you think that that was a good idea of being from the model of a record company? Well, you know, we're not weathered to the past, you know. We kind of try new things. I'm a big tech head and follow trends online, you know, social media, downloads, all this kind of stuff, music blogs. I mean, there seems to be a whole 
a community of people that are into like, it's only, you know, that are into passing on MP3s of bands they like. I mean, to me, it's really similar to what I used to do in the tape trading days, back in the days, mm -hmm. before the internet. It was like making a C90 of your favorite bands and handing it out to friends. Kind of what I did all the time. And um, that's how I learned about new bands. So uh, it seemed like a, an idea to try it and have a full album by, I mean, the first one we did was Gamma Bomb. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an Irish thrash band. They were kind of a new band on the up, so we didn't really have anything much to lose as well. And it was the band's own idea, actually. They came to me one day, just like, hey, Dick, why don't you, because uh, they're big fans of, like, finding music online and they're big supporters of the uh, free music thing. And they, they didn't take long to convince me that it would be a good idea. And, uh, yeah, we just went ahead with it. I think we've got maybe 40,000 downloads in the first few months. Wow. I don't know what the number is now. It's more than the CDs that would have sold anyway, put it that way. But, so we were quite happy with that. It's, um, it's got the name out there. When they go on tour, they have, you can obviously see people that have come to see them just from like downloading the free album. Right. It, it does have its benefits. Hopefully they'll buy a t-shirt or two. Everything will work out okay. The band's popularity is growing. Uh, you know, we eventually released that CD, the one we gave away, mm -hmm. uh, for, and you could buy it and everything, and it sold the same as the one before, so it didn't really reduce sales or anything. Wow, that's and interesting. It held steady, so... Huh. Uh, I mean, the jury's out still, whether it's uh, the way the record companies should all, like, <laughs> uh, go, but we tried it, and it did okay. It did okay for us. That's really neat. That's really interesting to, to hear that it sold as much as the one before that, you yeah. know, with the free download. I mean, in a way, it was Radiohead, really, that led the way, surely. Yeah. And Radiohead blew everyone's mind with that whole In Rainbows thing, mm -hmm. the free. And then you had Nine Inch Nails doing the same thing. I mean, they made a big impact on me, what they were doing. These were like huge bands, million sellers, that were basically experimenting with, they could have had a... It could have backfired and nobody got into the band. I mean, I even downloaded The, Rain the Rainbows by Radiohead, mm -hmm. and I don't even like the band. <laughs> <laughs> they're not my cup of tea at all. Right. They're right. just an English sort of indie band. They're not, they're not really what I'm into, but I mean, I, even I downloaded it and kind of appreciated the gesture that they, that they let me have an album for free. It's good. I thought it was quite a brave step by them, very brave. Yeah, and you do point out that it is, it's a, it's a really interesting gesture and just where things are going and, and just want to commend you as a label for doing that. And a lot of label people are, you know, definitely yeah. concerned and afraid of giving things away for free because it's always been about making a certain amount of money here. And I think it's great that you've got a different way to look at things. Well, there's also the Spotify thing right now, which is launched in the U.S., but it's been going on in Europe for a few years now. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of our albums are free to stream on Spotify. Um, oh, catalog of earache. So, wow! Check it out there. You know, you don't have to. You have to maybe become a premium subscriber. It costs about ten bucks a month to, to remove the adverts. But um, I mean, I'm a huge believer in Spotify. I, I live on that thing mm -hmm. all day long, and just <laughs> listen to bands. Uh, you know, it's the best thing ever. It's like the best jukebox of music ever invented. Um, and I'm a big fan of it. So, the earache stuff catalogs on there, and anyone could just. Join Spotify and check out everything from Earache for free. Yeah, I mean, that's well, relatively free. You have to pay a, a monthly subscription, but... There, well, and there is a free... There is a free Spotify, um, whatever you call it, also. That's true, yeah. Um, you can get a... Yeah, so you get hit with adverts every, like, few minutes. Right, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Speech found here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and Digby's playlist, Digby is actually sent his playlist to me via Spotify. And uh, do you want to talk about the first song that you have for us to uh, to listen to? One of my favorite songs, by the way. I was really psyched when I got your playlist and I saw, yeah. like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to... I mean, that track means a lot to me. It's, it's the Ruts, Babylon's Burning. Mm -hmm. I mean, I compiled this, like, last week or week before when the riots were going on in the UK. Oh, well, wow. I say riots, but they were more like looting, weren't they? Organized kind of gangs just robbing stores. Uh, different from kind of rioting. But this song is, um, by the works, it's Babylon's Burning. It's the first punk band I ever saw at a wow. small little club in Nottingham. When I was at school, a friend took me along. I didn't really know much about punk. And we went to see the Ruts play this underground dive bar called Sandpipers, and it blew my mind. It was, uh, it changed my life, really. <laughs> Just seeing this band live changed my life. Mm, yeah, I mean, in the Ruts, that's one band I've never seen. You know, just yeah, it was with Malcolm Owen, obviously. Yeah. 
it was just such a powerful thing, and it was my first punk show, really, proper punk show. Mm. It'd be like 78 or so, wow. the end of that. I didn't really know what I was getting in for, but it was just so, the energy was amazing, the venue was amazing, there was all these kind of heavy, studded punk kind of dudes were there, and spitting and stuff. It was kind of a, <laughs> I mean, I was like, uh, yeah, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, the, the energy, the, the colourfulness, the kind of... Uh, camaraderie. I mean, yeah, it was it was a powerful thing mm. when I when I hadn't seen it before. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a punk effect of a whole, whole lot of things, but that was my first exposure in the roots. That's pretty much. Oh, that's great. For me. So we're gonna listen to the track and we go and we'll go Digby Pearson. This is your life. <laughs> so my guest is Digby Pearson. He is the uh, the founder and owner of Earache Records, and he's honing the playlist for the next hour. So uh, please stay tuned. A few selections chosen by Digby from uh, Earache Records. Are you there, Digby? Yep, yep. All right. So that was uh, off of the Grind Madness at the BBC. Yeah. Napalm Death, Raging in Hell. Yeah, well, I I wanted to include that that track because, um, well, mainly in honor of John Peel, really, who who that track came from the, the Peel sessions, the legendary Peel sessions, which were really what put a lot of the Eric bands on the map and um, obviously uh, he's not with us, with us anymore John Peel but the guy was just an absolute star you know he was I mean he, he was incredible what he did because he was you know, a national radio uh, DJ in the UK and had that national reach on the national radio station but he just decided I mean, his show was like what in the evening time I don't know 10 till midnight or something and he had the craziest band on and uh, he decided to put on a lot of sessions from the Eric bands, and um, without him, I don't think the whole label, well, the whole label would never really reached reached the, the, the wider public. Wow. Um, so with Napalm Death, he had them down doing like sessions, and that track was uh, the band doing a SOB cover, a Japanese hardcore band that they were oh, really yeah. into, mm-hmm. and it just it just shows the sort of uh, insanity of what, what they were up to. Yeah. And I can't believe that happened. That actually went out on national airwaves in the UK. Maybe about ten at night. It was, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. John Peel really was uh, somebody to look up to, and and at least from my point of view, what I saw that he was doing in all the Peel sessions. Mm. I mean, I never heard the radio show, but uh, all the Peel sh- sessions that are out there, just phenomenal. Yeah. And and to to have to really want to be doing live stuff all the time—that's just killer. I mean, yeah, I mean, who's have, um, I remember when Napalm Death went down there to the BBC in the, the hallowed BBC studios where they'd record these sessions in like huge, it was probably the first time they'd been in a pro studio really. Before that, it was just making albums on a nothing budget, you know, like the, the, uh, indie, the DIY budget that Earache had. Mm-hmm. And, um, they'd hear, you know, the, there'd be Peel's producer down there and he'd be going, oh, we're doing a, a Smith session or New Order session or something that's going to go out the same show. Uh, with Napalm Death or, wow. or one of the, <laughs> it was like mind blowing. So, um, and it really, uh, uh, you know, it, it blew my mind that we could actually have access to, and, and John Peel, bless him, was, was the guy that made all this thing happen. Because he'd have, out of the first 10 earache releases, um, that I know, I was just putting them out DIY style, and, and then this, uh, John Peel would actually invite maybe about eight of the first 10 bands to actually 
going to, to new sessions. So wow. basically popularized the whole grindcore thing unexpectedly. Never expected this, but suddenly it was, it was all over the UK. Wow. But before that was Sacrilege. I wanted to just play them because it's a fantastic Birmingham band, not the Sacrilege from the US, mm -hmm. but they were um, ex-members of Verukas. I mean, early hardcore punk from the UK was what I grew up on. And, um, and, and they, but they kind of were first to metalize it a bit. Really influential band for me. Mm -hmm. uh, they, were, they were sort of coming from a hardcore punk background, uh, Verukas, but they kind of metalized it. And um, they were a big influence on all the, all the Napalm Death guys, especially Justin, the guitarist. Uh, they're, not, they're a bit um, unsung heroes. <laughs> and then before that was Discharge, favorite band of all time, Devon Slayer. Uh, Discharge had to be included because they just um, were the first band to just kick off something that was uh, that was kind of really influential to me. Mm -hmm. Discharge, I would go around the country and check them out and see them whenever they played. They were um, just a band to look up to. Uh, they were obviously the second wave of punk, hardcore punk really. Yes, they were just a band that I am forever in love with. I love them. Yay, Discharge. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, un unbelievable, and and uh, the listeners are commenting about your uh, the playlist. Somebody will change soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a varied playlist, and uh, and just quickly, somebody did ask if Eric lost any merch in the uh, in the riot. Uh, actually, no. They were, the riots were pretty heavy going, though. Actually, they hit our town, Nottingham, just up the road from our offices. Uh, they actually firebombed. Some of these like rioters, which are just kids, actually firebombed the police station. How hardcore was that? But mm. our office is five minutes down the road from there, and luckily they didn't come down. Luckily, we yeah, we escaped. And they burned down a lot of stuff. And I think there's a there's a warehouse in London in Enfield called the Sony Played Against Sam warehouse, where a lot of indie bands have their have their uh, CD stocked. That got burned down. Luckily, that's not our distributor, so. Mm. I think it did affect a lot of labels, though. A hell of a lot of labels. Yeah, I did hear um, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's. I think there's. Well, there's a huge like indie band called Arctic Monkeys. Mm -hmm. But they're. Um, I mean, it's not my cup of tea. I don't really like the band, but they. Um, I think they were due to have a single out. I mean, they sell like a couple of hundred thousand copies or something, and they all burned down in the um, in this fire caused by the rioters. So, by well, right. good fortune, it didn't affect us. We, we our stuff's in another warehouse <laughs> that they couldn't find. So well, so good. So you're you're lucky there for sure. Yeah, it was, it was real lucky. Yeah. I think there's a lot of labels trying to do benefit shows, and I mean, some labels are doing the kind of indie kind of music. They're not they're not going to be rich, and they can't really stand to lose a lot of stock. Mm. So I think there's a big campaigns going on in the UK to help out these labels and buy some of their um, records digitally to help them out. Oh right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's all that. I can't quite remember the names of the labels. Some of the bigger ones are like Beggar's Banquet, they are actually pretty huge, they can handle the, uh, the loss of the stock, mm -hmm. but a lot of the other ones are, um, are really struggling. Well, it's yeah. a good thing that there is the online, the possibility of selling music online then, because yeah. otherwise I mean, it would be all their stock and you'd just be standing around, you know, going Yeah, I know, we never expect this kind of crazy thing to happen, like, of all, I mean, no, I mean the, the, the rioters or looters were just asked for anything they could... It was kind of electronic or trainers or iPhones or all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Once they raided the place, they just like torched it. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty horrible. Wow. No, well, I'm glad that you're okay and have and are out of harm's way. Yes, yes. And uh, so my guest is Digby Pearson, who uh, started Earache Records. I guess I just want to ask you really quickly what made you choose to start a record label, and did you have any idea that it would still be going? in 2011 I mean was it really a business thing or no complete opposite I mean I started the label just out of fandom really I mean there's a lot of other labels around that that are started by people who've worked in the biz for many years um it wasn't like that at all I was just a fan of the bands a fan of music fan of underground extreme music and um Earache really just wanted to push the envelope and put out noisy bands that were kind of more out there than, than the stuff that was around at the time. So it had a sort of sense of purpose. But it didn't have any money and didn't have any kind of resources or any kind of plan. The idea was just to warp some minds, really. It still is. Mm. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> nothing much has changed. 
Yeah. <laughs> Bizarrely, it started to catch on. People like John Peel got onto it straight away. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it was kind of unlistable noise when it came out. It was almost like avant-garde or experimental music. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I was trying to explain to, to, to some bloggers the other day, like, who asked me the same kind of question, what what were you trying to achieve when you started Earache? And it was kind of downfall of music, really. <laughs> and that's the ambition. <laughs> And, and what um, what kind of job did you have at the time? What were you doing? Nothing. Oh, okay. No, I mean, I left university. I quit university, actually. Mm-hmm. After one year, I didn't finish the course properly because I was just too much into music and I just wanted to go and see bands. And I tried my hand at a lot of things. Like I was a writer for sea reports in Maximum Rock and Roll and Flipside Magazine. Oh, cool. You know, they were like, I kind of knew all the bands and I knew Tim Hannon and those guys, Jeff mm-hmm. Bale that, that ran those the punk Bible fancy, and the guy called Pusshead, who was a writer as well in the US. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was like a good friend of mine, pen pal kind of friend. Mm-hmm. We could swap tapes and swap seven inches and stuff. Even Jello Biafra as well. I mean, I learned from the best guys. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. They would send, they would send me stuff, and I, it would just blow my mind, and, and I'd send them some UK punk stuff back. And when it got, actually, they stopped trading seven inches with, with me when it got a bit too metalized. They were sending me, they told me, stop sending metal seven inches. And I was like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> they were so punk, it was, it was unbelievable. But, I mean, I loved metal and extreme, well, thrash metal, the underground kind of metal scene and death metal was just as exciting to me as punk. And um, so I got really, really into that sort of stuff. And that's why Earache kind of was a sort of hybrid thing. Mm-hmm. The bands were punky, but also metalized as well. Well, and certainly it's like a metal disposition, I mean, a, a punk disposition, you know, with a real punk attitude, not so so much yeah. the metal like like the giant tour bus, like for real, like, you know, DIY, but, but just in mm. a really extreme range. They had some metalized riffs, and that was kind of what was really cool at the time. Yeah. I mean, everyone was influenced by Slayer and Metallica and Trouble, and uh, not so much Megadeth, maybe a bit of Anthrax. I mean, the big four of Thrash, Celtic Frost. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just like huge influences on, on the early grindcore bands, I think, as well as your crazy punk stuff, yeah, uh, and hardcore punk. It was kind of an amalgam of stuff, and, and I was just um, a fan of that kind of music, and I would, I would encourage the bands to just push the envelope, to go crazy, you know, do, do it more extreme. And, uh, you know, when you hear bands like Carcass for their debut album, yeah. Still unlistable noise now, and it's 20 years old, or more than that. I still want to personally thank you for putting that out. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it, it was heavy stuff. So, um, I mean, there were bands doing similar stuff. There were hardcore punk bands that were speedy, and uh, even some indie bands, like, say, Swans, or, mm. uh, you know, they were, they were doing, like, heaviest, or, you know, heaviest kind of stuff. Sure. But they weren't, uh, they were all a bit twee to me. <laughs> they didn't sound like I meant it. So that's one thing that Earache brought to the table was a kind of obsession with the, the noise, really. Mm-hmm. Was and, there any, um, did you have any um, actual sort of concept for the label or a vision for the label? Only to be, uh, try and put out good bands in, in the genre. I mean, not to explain. It was all done off the seat of the pants. There was no plan. It was like, this band's pretty cool. They're, uh, they're extreme, they fit the bill, mm-hmm. uh, we'll work with them, and it kind of, it veered into more death metal territory when we started working with Morbid Angel. Right. I mean, they, they were still extreme and crazy, um, and I remember talking to Trey at the time, and he was really into Carcass's album, because it was just, uh, it was a mindset, really, to just go over the top. It didn't exist before. There were, there were other labels that had concerns to shift units. Right. and, and uh, put out palatable records that would, that would fit the masses. Earache that really didn't, I think that's what fans recognize, hopefully they do, mm-hmm. that really, we just did not care and wanted to just warp some minds. And luckily, <laughs> by a bizarre twist of fate, he actually became really, really popular and got a, its own kind of genre of extreme metal and or grindcore or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it certainly sure. wasn't a, any kind of business plan well, from it. Nothing like that existed. It's not as if it was obvious then, but I just wanted to see if there had been, and now everybody knows. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I had to learn quick how to at least survive as a label and keep going. I mean, that's, I'm a quick learner, mm-hmm. and I kind of went from, like, DIY to just you know, to employing a staff 
within a few years. And uh, I mean, the bizarre irony was that the label got picked up by Sony for a couple of years in the US. Right. How crazy is that? Yeah. The same bands that were like blowing minds a few years before were like on a major label. It was, and it didn't work out successfully. They didn't become the platinum acts that they were expected to be. I mean, grunge, grunge took that honour really. <laughs> they stole it from the from the era in the grindcore scene, but it was more palatable and. And I love Nirvana anyway, but so you know, grunge was the thing that I like, kicked off in, in, in its stead, really. Mm. What would this world be like though if really grindcore had gotten that big? I don't know. It's just like one of those parallel universe things. Yeah. What? What <laughs> if? It would have been crazy if like Godflesh was Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would have had. Yeah. It could have. You know. You know. With a quirk of fate, it could have happened. But um, I think that actually the bands were their own worst enemies. I mean, there's a book out by um, the decibel editor, Albert Modrian, mm-hmm. who, who writes, it's called Choosing Death, and it's the whole story. I mean, how crazy is that? There's the scene's even got a book that describes the whole whole thing that went on, and it's, it's really accurate, true description of, of what went on. But you read the book, and, uh, you know, it's in hindsight, so everyone's, uh, it's like a decade or 15 years after the, the event, and uh, even the bands are admitting they were kind of naive and made some poor decisions, and, I mean, they, they just really did not, want to be major label bands right. they weren't designed to be it was, it was a folly really that they that there's like Godflesh albums and Fudge Tunnel albums and Carcass albums on a major label <laughs> uh, there were Era Columbia it just doesn't really make sense it doesn't compete right yeah but, um, well, and, but, they, but, they, but they were there for a while and was that um, was that a was that a deal was that actually sort of Columbia more or and did you have to take the bands back or was it a deal with Columbia well, it was, um, I mean, the bands were like selling serious numbers as well. I mean, it's, it's a story that kind of is played out in the music biz every year or two. There's a hot new label that pops up with like hot bands that are selling mega, you know, sub pop. It happened to pretty much at the same time uh, as Earache. And um, I mean, some of their bands went on to be successful, others didn't. But um, and, and one like phenomenally so, like about Nirvana. With Earache, we had the same kind of... Columbia was really into it. They really wanted to uh, to push the bands. and um, But then they'd actually say crazy stuff like, oh, where's the radio single? And, <laughs> and can, the singer have, can the singer have, like, vocal lessons? Oh, We're like, really? what? Have you heard these bands? They're crazy. So, Tell uh, Jeff Walker that. It wasn't, yeah, it was like a real mismatch, to be honest. What the hell we were doing there, I don't know, because it was saying stuff like that was not really what, what it was all about. But, um, so it was, it was as if that they kind of understood that that earache was getting big and that they should do something, but they were still operating from the same model, but not understanding that they were taking on like a whole maverick, you know, label yeah. and genre. Exactly. The, the, the maverick is the key word. Yeah. The bands wouldn't comply with anything. They, I think, it was Carcass. <laughs> they told to do to do some vocal lessons, and he was like. I mean, I wasn't at these meetings, but I presume they were like, are you kidding me? What, what, you know, this is carcass. What are you talking about? <laughs> they, they would have official meetings where they'd say stuff like that. Or, where's the radio hit was the best? Where's the radio hit? <laughs> like, radio? Radio? Are you crazy or what? Right, yeah. What's the radio got to do with this? Well, and as far as um, they're concerned, they were on John Peel's show, right? So they've already got well, yeah. the radio that they need. But, not, but he's uh, as maverick as they come, so... Yeah. You know, it, 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 it was an underground scene... It would be like kind of akin to black metal bands. In fact, yeah, uh, you know, like Satyricon were on EMI for a while. Mm. Cradle of Filth were on Sony for a while. Nobody really knows about that. Uh, the black metal bands that were big sellers, they also come eventually to, you know, the overtures of the major labels because they are still powerhouses. They can build careers. You know, they have a lot of them. And the finances that they put into a career is just uh, multiples of what an indie can do, even the bigger indies. Right. So, um, you know, you can't blame those bands. So, Tiricon didn't really take off. They did one album on EMI. Same with Cradle of Filth. I think they just forget that major label album as a sort of a folly. Mm. And, um, you know, it happens a lot. There's all the labels that happen. I mean, even labels like Victory, say, they have, you know, it's a metal, punky, hardcore label. Right. They have some really successful bands in the more emo scene that I'm not really into. But, um, you know, you can't knock it. They, they, they sell a serious amount of records. I think Hatebreed was on a major label for a while. So there was, you know, there's this whole fine line between the big selling indie and indie labels and the majors. There's sort of a symbiotic relationship that goes on. You know, we exist just below the radar of that. And we're quite happy to do that. We don't have any 
Right. Major li- major label licenses anymore. Well, and you've tried, and you've you know seen where that goes, and it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's absurd, really. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the thing is, the major labels wise up. They've all got now indie distribution networks that they can plug in to, and we actually go through a, a distro called Caroline in the US, which is part of EMI. Right. Uh-huh. So, so then, you know, we do have some ties, tenuous ties with these majors, but, but only because there's no real, well, there's not many real genuine independent uh, with no uh, distro networks with no ties to any majors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's what we deal with. Well, so I'd like to get back to the uh, to the music and and music, yeah. really, you know, and it's and it's wonderful to talk to you, and I could talk to you for an hour just you know about all this because this is just what I love and what you love, obviously. You're here to guest DJ also, and okay. and part of doing this segment is is kind of like you know I've had some guests on who are not huge talkers, so it's more about the music, and uh, so thank you for just you know your your contribution. And the next thing we have is a brutal truth track. Let's see. Awesome off of uh, extreme conditions demand extreme responses. Right band. Is there uh yeah, is there anything you want to say about about this track? Well, just great bands and I just wanted to <laughs> put it out there just to remind people what what a great band they are. I mean, they split up for a while and then reformed again recently, but this is like from their uh, earlier their first album and it, it just is it's a ripping track. I I love it. I love it to bits. All right, so uh, my guest is Digby Pearson from Earache Records, and uh, we're going to be listening to some Brutal Truth. We are WFMU. Please stay tuned. I hope you make sure we're properly dead before you start. So that is White Wizard. And uh, Digby, would you like to tell the folks about White Wizard? Well, yeah. I mean, it's a it's an earache band. It's from uh, an album we released about a year ago, and uh, that's one of my favourite bands right now. I mean, I'm I'm personally on a listening trip. Uh, I'm really into like classic rock these days, and um, obviously probably heard Dio and Judas Priest before that, and. Um, just two legendary bands. I mean, after like listening to the extreme stuff, I'm living in a death metal grind called Bubble for a couple of decades. And we kind of uh, you know, branching out a little bit. Maybe I'm getting older. I don't know. But um, uh, there's a 
you know, there's a new wave of kind of bands that, that are playing classic rock. Uh, that, that aren't old timers. They aren't veterans. They're like they're not, like newer bands. And I really want to support them because uh, I mean they're, they're not an obvious uh, big seller. You know, they're kind of um, and they're all, a, lot, a lot of bloggers and stuff deride them as kind of throwbacks or revivalists or whatever because they're not playing modern processed crunchy metal, but. Uh, to me, I, I applaud them because they're they're trying to put the songs back into battle and uh, and the riffs, you know, the power of the riffs and uh, the front man and stuff. I mean, uh, myself and Dan Tobin, who's like the the, the other A and R guy at Earache. I mean, he signed bands like At the Gates back in the '90s and worked with Dark Throne mm. when he worked at Peace Hall. I mean, kind of uh, we're steeped in this extreme metal stuff, and uh, there's a whole new wave of bands. It probably started with like Grand Magus or Wolf coming out of Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. They're more about the riffs and the song. And uh, what we did, uh, we signed. And, um, they're not everyone's cup of tea, but but I think they're amazing. You know, they they struggle with lineup problems a little bit because they're a new band and there's no obvious fan base for them. But we persevere, and I just want to promote bands that that, that, that play true sort of heavy metal. You know, like the old days. Right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. And so you 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 redefined heavy metal at some point in your well, actually early on, and now uh, it's it's great to be able to embrace it all, though. And uh, and it's it, for me, it's really great to hear that there are bands doing something like that. Yeah, I mean, I remember telling a, a, a respected journalist at Metal Hammer in the UK about two years ago when we started doing this. I mean, I heard you. Briefly, did you play Power Vice earlier on? I did, today? yes. Yeah, I mean, that's the band we released on a compilation called Heavy Metal Killers, mm -hmm. which is like to showcase these new bands that are out there. I mean, they're all kind of young and trying to get somewhere. And uh, I remember telling a journalist at Metal Hammer in the UK, there's a whole set of bands now that worship Maiden and Priest, and uh, they don't really worship Dark Throne or Morbid Angel or whatever. Right. <laughs> they're, just, they're on a different trip. And he was like, really? Oh, I don't believe these bands exist. That's incredible. Where, where are these bands? Don't you mean old northern bands from the 70s and 80s? And no, no, I mean new bands. Mm -hmm. like bands like Enforcer from Sweden. And uh, he was he was gobsmacked that they, they exist. Um, and uh, yeah, to me, they're just fresh, the fresh, freshest thing in metal. Right. And, um, we want to we want to promote them. They don't sell many copies, <laughs> which is like it doesn't really matter because anyway, the thing is, it's just a Reflection of my own personal taste. Anyway, I'm at a lucky position that I can release whatever I want to release. There's no real pressure to do the numbers or the quarters or turnovers and stuff. Mainly because our back catalogue still does, does really strong for us. So we don't really act like any other labels. We can just release what what the hell we damn well like. So there. That's the beauty. Of, that's the beauty of what business. They're great. <laughs> very very cool. Do you consider Earache like a vanity label? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, we, we kind of like... I mean, there's other labels there that are bigger than Earache, and they're like powerhouses of the metal scene that have huge turnovers and huge staff and stuff. I mean, Earache's really just been born out of fandom, and it still is. It's like A&R driven, and we just release what we like. Mm -hmm. Between myself and Dan, who's like the label manager and also A&R, and uh, he did the Wicked World label that... I heard you mention earlier that I think a fan wanted to comment about, uh, which, which uh, turned up a few bands, but then we, we folded that label. We kind of put out what we want to put out, really, and what we like to hear. It really is just a timeline of my own listening taste. It's the ultimate vanity label, really. Right. Um, if we had to, like, sign to order or sign what's popular, we'd be doing emo, screamo bands and Black Veil Brides sort of rip-offs mm. all day long. Mm. We don't really think like that. We just don't think like that, really. Well, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how many people work at Earache right now? Um, not too... May, way less than you might think. There's about eight of us in Nottingham, a couple in London doing promo, New York office, about three people. Mm -hmm. It's tiny. And we had a couple of people leave us recently, cutbacks and stuff. But So, you know, we're not a huge... Uh, I mean, we, have, we hire outside people to do promo... There's a guy in L.A. that does promo for us, a guy in Germany, a few guys in France, Swiss, um, Spain. So there's kind of uh, people that work. There aren't actually employees, at any rate, but they're, they're working on behalf of the label. 
and they do other labels as well. It's kind of a freelance uh, thing now that goes on a lot. Right. So, I mean, it ain't like, you know, it's not like dozens or hundreds like some, some, some of the bigger indie labels have. They're pretty small and, and boutique. <laughs> Yeah, but, like but it that way. extremely okay. powerful, and you, uh, Eric is always a presence, and Eric is one of those labels that's like, you know, you go shopping, and you, you know, oh, it's on Eric. Like, there's just, there's a comfort level to know that something's on Eric, at least for me. Yeah, I think that's what we, I think that's what makes it all satisfying, really, is the most satisfying part about it is when fans who follow the label, they kind of get what we're, where we're coming from. They're, uh, they're, a lot of them have grown up with the label. The thing is, we went like 20 years without releasing a grindcore, without signing a new grindcore band. I mean, that, that threw people a whole loop, that did. All through the 90s and the, and the 2000s, there was no new grindcore stuff on Iraq. The, the stuff that we were known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, until we signed Insect Warfare and released them, and then Wormrot in the last couple of years. Um, mainly because we don't want to rehash what we already did as well. There's, we're not really in the market for a new Morbid Angel or a new... Well, you've done it right. Yeah, you did it right the first time, and and I think that you know, I mean, we trust your judgment in knowing what's what's good and what's rehash, you know. So yeah, I I think what people don't really realize, we're kind of music nerds at Earache, like real music nerds. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) We're kind of a, you know, we're checking out bands all day long and forming an opinion of them, and we kind of discuss what we like and what we don't like. I'll tell you one of the funniest things was. we had a sort of, uh, we went out for work for some beers after work, the whole office, mm-hmm. well, me and Dan and a few other people, mm-hmm. and there was a guy, we went to a new kind of bar, just as kind of played a bit of metal, and there was a dude in there with a Cannibal Corpse shirt on, and he was like, he kind of got wind that we were earache and stuff, and um, he was like, we were like, oh, we like Cannibal Corpse, they're really cool, and he's joined us for a few beers, mm-hmm. and um, to show you how nerdy we are, we started talking about Cannibal Corpse's albums, like the debut, the follow-up. <laughs> The good albums, the bad albums, the production, the songs. Mm-hmm. And he actually got up to my table and walked away and said, you guys are idiots. Really? <laughs> he like, yeah. No, because he was just a general fan of Cannibal Corpse. He, wasn't, he couldn't handle us just dissecting their career like complete nerds that we are. So, oh, how funny. Uh, I, I knew what he meant, and I felt sorry for him that we were like, we were just nerdily like discussing Cannibal Corpse, and he just wanted to have a beer and... To right. say he was just with cannibal corpse. Right, and and and, okay. and, and, and pumping, idea of how, uh, fist in the air. Yeah, which yeah. is okay. I mean, yeah, but um, we had a bit more of a nerdly like interest in the band. <laughs> Even though we never signed them, man, which which we had done, but we never did. Right. Yeah. Nerdly, I like that term. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nerdly. Do you have a uh, a pet release, like something that you put out that you really are most proud of having released? I tell you what, there's a lot of bands that we, I mean, a lot of our bands have been quite successful and they tour now and they're kind of legends in the extreme music thing. But there's a few bands that I've really liked that haven't caught on. I think you mentioned it before, uh, a commenter that mentioned the band called Old. Mm. That was, that was, um, they were a bit, I was a big fan of that band. They were from New York, James Plotkin, Jim mm-hmm. Plotkin, mm-hmm. now kind of revered in the scene for his psychedelic kind of guitar playing and experimental approach. But when we did old, no one really cared much. I was a big fan of them. So there's a few. There was a band called Zikkite that we released a few years ago. They were from England, Brighton. It's a fantastic band. We did two albums with them, and uh, nobody much cared much. <laughs> we, you know, we kind of uh, learned our lesson and didn't do any more albums by them. But there, there's a there's a sort of there's a slew of bands that I'm really really into that didn't really catch on. That's fine, you know. Um, does it make you? I don't really like them. Sorry. Does it make you more? Uh, is, is there more affinity for them because they didn't catch on? Like you almost feel like, oh, I just like it's still your own pet. Like it hasn't. If if it doesn't catch on, then it's still like kind of your pet thing. Yeah, well, I still like the band. It's the fact they didn't catch on. I mean, the band took it okay. You know, I mean, they thought Simon and Earache, like, like like every band, they think you know Earache can like do a lot of good and put the releases out there and promote them really well. And we have a really good success rate with our bands. They become quite popular, you know, over time. It's not an instant thing. It's not an overnight thing. I mean, they have to do the work. But they didn't really tour much, so they kind of... I mean, the guy is... He's been in, like, loads of bands in England. Uh, I can't remember now, but... But basically, he's like a musician. He's been, you know, he's been around and done a lot of releases on, on metal labels. So he took it on the chin. But, but it was, I mean, it's actually our web guy that does our website, earache.com. He's like... A, a uh, big fan of the band as well, 
it's just one of our little pet bands that we really like. It didn't catch on with the fans, and that's fine, you know. Mm. Not, not everything's an instant hit. <laughs> We're okay with that. <laughs> so then, uh, before White Wizard, you played uh, Judas Priest with the live version of Breaking the Law, and uh, Dio, Insect Warfare, and Brutal Truth rounds mm. out that set. Yeah, a few different vibes going on there. I mean, the Dio and Judas Priest was basically just do the classic rock is what uh, I'm really into at the minute. Um, Judas Priest just toured the UK, and we were lucky enough to have a band called Rival Sons open up for them. They're an LA band playing a sort of Led Zeppelin kind of classic rock, the, 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 one of our hot new bands, mm-hmm. and that's the next song in the list. But, uh, what, what, the reason I chose Dio and Priest was because it reminded me of uh, Monsters of Rock, the festival, the famous Monsters of Rock at Donington oh, Park, right. which is like Rainbow and Judas Priest played the first one in 1980, and I went along to that. I mean, it's actually only 10 or 15 minutes from my house where I, where I live. Mm. Uh, it's in it's our local neighborhood here, so I think that might have been one of the first metal festivals I ever went to. Wow. And, um, I was like seeing punk bands one day and then going to see metal festivals the next and loving it all, you know, and priest blew my mind that day. I don't think I really knew much about the band or, D, or Rainbow, so wow. um, I kind of have to work backwards. <laughs> And, and catch up with my metal, uh, classic rock stuff. So, I mean, yeah, they're just, uh, I mean, just brilliant. I mean, Dave Dio is just a, a legendary vocalist. Oh, yeah. Uh, shame, uh, he passed away so, and left us so, so suddenly, but, I mean, the guy's just a legend. I mean, I love all his stuff. I had to make my playlist. He's just a god. Yeah, and thanks for that, because he, yeah, there's, there's no, nothing equals. Yeah, amazing. Do you want to, um, Introduce the next uh, the next track you did. Mm. You mm. did. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Rival Sons uh, and a track called uh, Burn Down Los Angeles. I just got to take a call. I think Hold you on. do. <laughs> so my guest is uh, Diggy Pearson, the uh, founder and oh. owner of Earache Records. Here's some Rival Sons, which is next on Digby's program play- playlist. Please stay tuned. Back to the earthquake, as uh, it seems we've experienced here. We've got uh, Digby from Earache, who, uh, there he is. There you are. Yeah. And Sorry about that. I had to have another call, kind of a bit crazy there. Two things on the go. Yeah, that's but, uh, yeah, it happened when I went away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you're, you're getting credit for the earthquake from the ah, listeners. Just okay. So you know. 
And uh, you want to talk about the uh, the last couple of tracks we just heard? Yeah, the Headhunters and Scott Brown. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan, as well as being like mainly into the rock and metal, obviously. I mean, I'm open to other genres, and um, there's... When I'm a big fan of like the underground hardcore techno scene, it's actually... It's, it's, it's pretty kicking. It's, um, I've just been blown away by the, the production of it and stuff like that, and I collect a lot of the, uh, the CDs of these kind of bands. And uh, even dabbled for a little while in the 90s with, with some of these bands, which just off quite a few fans. But um, I, I just like the way that they're pretty slamming, and, uh, and the bass especially. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of like, sub-bass. And uh, when we did a band called Scorn, in the mm-hmm. 90s, which is ex-Napalm Death Dudes, uh, they, they, they actually had such a big, heavy bass line on their, on their music. It, it blew my mind. And um, uh, nowadays, there's whole scenes like dubstep, uh, where the bass is like the, the prominent instrument. And um, I mean, I've been a big fan of, like, say, you know, dub in the 70s, or reggae, or whatever, or, uh, and then there was drum and bass. So I just wanted to have play some bands like Headhunters. Mm-hmm. Scott Brown, who's like a, a, one of the top hardcore techno DJs, who just really slam it, you know. And um, uh, also like the fact that you can't really hear it much unless you, if you're on a laptop or an iPod um, kind of earbuds. They really, you know, just, they just they don't handle the bass that these guys are like putting out. So right, yeah, the waves um, are just too large. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of like stuff that you. I mean, I've got subwoofers everywhere. I can't live without uh, hearing proper bass. <laughs> Every system I've got, upstairs, downstairs, computers hooked up to subwoofers, in the oh. office, subwoofers. Um, since I kind of, yeah, I encourage everyone to get subwoofers because you don't hear the whole thing that's going on, the, the, the power of the track. Mm. It's, it's just immense. And um, I'm, just, I'm just a big fan, I mean, of that kind of stuff. It, it's really cool in the UK now. There's dubstep in every club where you go. And uh, everyone from students to like hipsters is into dubstep, but I chose not to play any dubstep because that's kind of it's too uh, predictable. Mm-hmm. So it was more like hardcore techno that I, that I wanted to put out there. Oh, and that's still yeah. really aggressive music. I mean, that still goes with you know. I mean, I think that 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 you know, you your taste and you know the label um, had for a long time really just been associated with extreme music and uh, yeah. you know. And, and it, to me, it's no surprise at all. Yeah, I mean, it's been called electronic grindcore to me. I mean, when, when they're sort of faster bands than the ones we just played. But, I mean, none of these bands are on Earache. They're, they're not, we're not mm-hmm. that, uh, we, we realize there's a, a line we can't really cross. Right. But just as a, my own personal uh, thing to throw in at the end was just to put a bit of bass into the actual playlist. Mm-hmm. To um, you know, It's still extreme. It's still powerful. And uh, it still warps minds. <laughs> It does mine anyway when I hear it, if, if you've got the right setup. And, um, yeah, it's just an incredible thing. Um, and uh, more people should get into it. Ooh, and there you go. And we have a question about the Accused release. Was that the first Eurek release? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Technically, it was the first one, but it was a kind of co-release with another label. So it didn't have um, another label. There was a friend of mine uh, uh, called uh, COR Records in the UK. Yeah. It was released in the States on a, on a small label called Subcore. Uh, Earache did it in the UK, but the rights expired, so we can't really print it anymore. The rights mm. expired many, many years ago. That's why it's actually hard to collect that one if you're a collector of the Earache catalog. Uh-huh. So and I was a big fan of the Accused. They were like one of my favorite bands for a while. Oh, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, they're still going. I think they've reformed, I think, recently. I think that they yeah. have, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're still awesome. <clears throat> and it was, yeah, they were, they were the band that kind of really got the label started. So I owe a lot to them. They were like they were kind enough to let to let me do it. I mean, my little label didn't mean anything at the time. Just like, and it was a, it was like a dream come true to put out the accused. It was awesome. Yeah, it must have been because you, if you were a fan. Yeah, know. I mean it was it was awesome. Yeah, so. Yeah, uh, and then we kind of moved on to a bit more extreme stuff, like a few releases later, about a year later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did. They were good. <laughs> And uh, and is there anything new that you're really excited about um, that you haven't mentioned that Eric's got going on? Yeah. Well, the band earlier on in the playlist, Rival Sons, mm-hmm. I mean, that's our new thing for this year. They're, um, they're a bit different for Eric because they're uh, obviously more 
high octane rock and roll or whatever you can call them. Um, I mean, they're uh, becoming one of our real successful acts. They're, uh, they really have a, a real good vibe about them. They're kind of organic sounding, real rock, rather than the processed kind of modern day metal that you hear. I mean, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're in the singer, J.D. Cannon, he's like a, a total star, he's brilliant. Because his influences are more, they come from the soul background and from oh, like wow. blues and stuff, and he really puts that into, into the band, if you hear their other tracks on the album. Um, and they've got a track called Soul, which I didn't put in the playlist because it's too long, but in that song he just really is um, a bluesy kind of feel, which is something I'm really into at the minute. A bluesy kind of singer in a, in a kick-ass rock band is like really, really something special, I think. And um, they're, uh, they're up for a Classic Rock Award this year, Best New Band, and also Classic Rock Magazine in the UK oh, recognised them early on. They're up for the Best New Band and also the Best Album of the Year. So for a new band that's uh, fairly new anyway. Oh, that's cool. Um, they're, they're doing quite well. And they, they toured with Judas Priest, of all things, as well, opening up for Priest in the UK. Um, yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they've scored some big management as well, like a huge man- management company called Azoff Music in the US. Mm-hmm. It's like the biggest one in the US. And uh, they do bands like Aerosmith, Van Halen, Journey. Wow. And then, and then yeah, I mean, they do the big, the A-list rock bands, the superstars. I think they did Guns N' Roses recently, until recently as well. And they, the newest band they've got on their books is, is Rival Sons. So they're expected to do well. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, they're just a great bunch of guys. They're all vegan as well. They're kind of, they're pretty, mm-hmm. uh, all about counterculture. Mm-hmm. And very right on and um, very cool people just smart just as cool as guys very very um, from LA you know it's a pleasure to work with them so uh, we'll see we'll see how they go it's still early days we think they're, we think, we think they're going to become a really important band oh cool well that track was, was really pretty great that we heard from them yeah, the, uh, yeah. what was it where, where is it oh Burn Down Los Angeles Burn Down yeah. Los Angeles yeah, yeah. well yeah and, and uh, that riot scene that was set out the playlist <laughs> <laughs> and any comment on including Fear Factory in the uh, your playlist? Yeah, and I just really love this track by Fear Factory. It's one yeah. of my favourites. It's from the manufacturer, like you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not an Iraq release. It's not an Iraq band. It's but I know um, they split up for quite a while and then reformed recently. And um, I know Dino quite well, the guitarist. Mm-hmm. He's a big fan of what Iraq does. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to every time I hear it, I, I really like it because. It's kind of got a mechanized sort of feel to it. It's like a, they're a metal band, but they're so tight and uh, they have like little programmed little bleeps and whatever in that track as well. I thought it'd be interesting to build up to the hardcore techno. I think and it was it, a perfect bridge track. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was meant for that reason so that people could ease into it. In fact, yeah, ease into it. In fact, themselves had a remix album, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Back in the day. Yeah. They're not afraid of experimenting with that kind of hardcore techno thing. I mean, they don't, they don't do it these days. It's a little bit passe, really, to, to mix the two together. But right, yeah, um, yeah. I just yeah, saw it, them in. The I just love that track. January, they played um, at the um, that that cruise, that seventy thousand tons of metal cruise. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were on that. Yeah. Really? Wow. That yeah. That that cruise is pretty mind blowing. It is. Yeah, yeah. It is. Who would have thought it? A luxury no. cruise liner with that. Yeah, with thousands of metalheads on there. That's yeah, blows, blows my mind. It was it was really quite a quite a life changing experience. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, <laughs> I I recommend it to anybody. And I think right oh. now they have there's only like 15 bands listed for next year. But I've I'm already mm. you know because I it's just it's just a vibe. Like it's just it's yeah. not like a club vibe. You know that everybody who is there is there for the music. And mm. yeah, it was just super. And you know, and you've got the whole like. A-list food and you know like I was uh, in between bands like if I had like an hour off I was going into like the sauna you know it's, wow. not, it's different than a festival like going back yeah. to your tent and like wallowing, wallowing through mud you know and standing yeah. on a long like, food line and maybe not getting anything because the band, next band you want to see is 40 minutes later like this is just it was so high end it was really it was pretty amazing could be the, yeah, be the future of festivals. I mean, yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah. So no, no regular public go on this cruise. Then they're not there as well. No, it's, it's only just, headbangers. It's and just yeah, only it's, metal it's the full boat. It's not like a portion of the boat. It's the, it's one hundred percent of the boat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is great because when we left um, 
Cozumel. We had a day in Cozumel, and then the boat turned around and came back to Miami. As we were leaving, like, there's this, I guess it's like this sort of etiquette where, like, people on ships wave to each other, and the, the people on the ship across from us were, like, waving to us, and our boat started the chant, the Your Boat Sucks chant, you know, yelling at this other boat, and for half a second I felt guilty, and then I just realized, just like, wow, you know, there's 3,000 of us here, mm-hmm. and we're, you know, and it was it was actually really quite a quite a camaraderie experience. Yeah. But uh, well, well, the Wacken people, I think they do the Wacken Festival. Oh, is thing. that who did it? Yeah, so they're branching out in this. Oh, yeah, it's like a holiday and festival, like you say, sunshine and VIP level kind of facilities, rather than just in a muddy field. Right, right. <laughs> Sounds amazing. <coughs> yeah, it's a great idea. When's the next one? Yeah. Yeah, the next one's in January. It's right. seventy thousand yeah. tons of metal. Um, and a listener wants to know what you think about bands like Atari Teenage Riot and that kind of sort of techno punk thing. I'm not a big fan of ATR, but I mean, I see where they're coming from. I was a, I was into the digital hardcore stuff a little bit that they were mm-hmm. doing because it was kind of extreme and I don't know really. It's kind of, it's all a little bit highly political and Berlin and two reasons why I'm not a huge fan of ATR and the and the, and the digital hardcore stuff. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't really extreme. It wasn't really powerful enough. I don't really know why. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but everyone loved. Everyone, yeah, they were, I think they recently reformed to do some shows. So. See, Digby's always the first one on the uh, on the scene. He knows he knows everything, and that's why he's my guest today. Yeah. So, so uh, for those of you just tuning in, my guest is uh, Digby Pearson of Earache Records. We've got one more track to go. I know you wanted to talk about this a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, I mentioned before how I'm really into bass, <laughs> mm-hmm. and this is just like the ultimate bass track. It's just uh, if you've got subwoofers, hook them up now. Because this will just rock your world. If not, <laughs> you ain't going to know what's going on, and you're going to miss the whole thing. Because I mean, it's not even a track; it's just a uh, bass lines. But um, it's extreme, and it, it kind of it, it will cause damage if you play too loud. It, it's, I mean, I like it because it's kind of powerful music. And uh, when we were off uh, offline, uh, Dig and I were talking about you know certain bands who play with bass and just play with sounds. It's kind of as you said, using music as a weapon. Yeah, like like your bands like Throbbing Gristle or White House from the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never actually seen any of those bands, but I've heard about it where they would just crank up the bass or the treble, and it'd be like a it'd be an ordeal, you know. It'd be an ordeal to go and watch them, and they'd they'd make it make it so because they the and you know just this track is is not from that industrial kind of scene, but it's got the same kind of power, well more power than any of those bands have in my opinion, and um. It's just a, it's just a powerful sound that, that I really, really like. So this is going to be the last song that 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 Digby is programmed for the day, and I just want to thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah. the listeners are just really, you know, there, there's been a lot of comments, not really that many questions, but people are just commenting like crazy um, that 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 you are our special guest today. And I just really want to thank you just for the effort that you had to make to, to get everything together to, to guess on this show, you know. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Man. And uh, and it's especially tough. just for your contribution, like really being that guy who, you know, took chances like way back when in putting together the label and, and putting out releases that every single listener out there, and myself included, has really benefited from. It's a huge honor to have you on the program. Well, thanks, yeah, it's been great to be on. And, uh, yeah, you. you let me loose on the airwaves. Uh, I love it, yeah. <laughs> so far, nobody, there's thanks, no... Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, there's no red flashing lights outside. I think that I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. you're okay. <laughs> this next track should cause an earthquake. If, if anything will, it'll be this. <laughs> Great. Well, so we're ready for the aftershocks here. Right. And, okay. Uh, so this is Power Supply. Is that the name of the outfit? Yeah, I mm-hmm. think so. Okay. So, Digby Pearson, again, thank you very, very much for hanging out. Thanks for having me. It's been great. All right. Okay. There we go. Okay. Our subwoofer system test is in effect. Thanks, Digby. Mm-hmm. Digby. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye. Bye. And that concludes another podcast episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. More on the way. I am Diane Kamikaze. Check my Twitter and my Instagram. Handle is one word, Diane Kamikaze. Kamikaze ends with an E. 
On Facebook, you can find me as Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life and Making a Difference. The full link to my uh, index of shows and podcasts is can be found on wfmu.org slash playlist slash DK. Those are that's a capital D and a capital K for an expanded version with lots and lots of music, wise cracks and fun stuff. I'm going to be working on encore presentations, and I've got years of old interviews and podcasts. So if there's something that you'd like to see reposted that you missed, please get in touch. Send me email, diane at wfmu.org. And be sure to subscribe to the show, and if you like it, please rate it and review it. Wow. WFMU, peer pressure. Thank you. See you next time.